Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Lude and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how we doing? Doing fantastic. Keeping track of what's going on on the open seas out the window here. <laughs> you always do. And you're keeping your finger on the pulse of our to-be-named index. What's the latest? Uh, there are 17 ships waiting outside the port of Savannah today. Only okay. about a half dozen in Charleston. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but an interesting shift of, of kind of backups there. So undoubtedly, undoubtedly, and you know, we expect more as China starts to release some of the goods and ships that they've been holding back while they've locked down Shanghai and other municipalities. That's right. And more to come at 11 with our chief correspondent, Greg White, down at Hilton Head. Right, Scott. <laughs> so, hey, uh, on today's show, though, folks, we're going to be talking about a topic that might just be overlooked from time to time by top levels of leadership, trade compliance. However, Greg, as we know, with a solid strategy in place, trade compliance can be a key component in creating resilience against disruptions, all these disruptions in cross-border trade. So today we're going to be having Jessica Rosen and Ron Shepard from UPS joining us to share a lot more. Greg, should be really intriguing, but also a highly informative discussion, right? Yeah, it's a great way to learn how not to hurt yourself. I mean, I, I've even read an article recently about a federal agency, Federal Prison Industries or Unicor, that inadvertently, inadvertently violated federal law in terms of trade compliance by not consulting their general counsel or, or having the, the information readily available. So it can happen to anybody. That's right. And not knowing ignorance is no excuse, right? Ignorance That's is right. no excuse. That's what the they more call you us know. in second grade, right? Ignorance <laughs> of the law is no excuse. That is right. It's, it's almost like uh, that old NBC campaign, the more you know. We need one of those graphics. The more you know with the stars shooting across the, uh, the screen there. Well, folks, stay tuned. We've got a great discussion. We're all going to learn a lot more from pros that know all about trade compliance. But before we dive into that conversation, we'll say hello to a few folks. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. The very first person to show up today, Greg, was right. Timothy Archer, right? Yeah, I wonder... I didn't even know he could arrive as early as he did. So clearly he takes that that old rule. If you're five minutes early, you're already 10 minutes late. Very seriously. <laughs> Very. Well, Timothy, let us know where you're tuned in from. Clearly you're connected via LinkedIn, one of the five uh, channels we stream on at the same time. But let us know what part of the world that you are tuned in from. Uh, of course, we've got Catherine Hintz and uh, Chantel and Amanda behind the scenes helping to make production happen. Appreciate what they do every day. And hey, we got Michael Avra back with us here today. Oh. You know, Michael Gregg, I think, oh, is as big, of a, as big of a fan of the Wall Street Journal as I am. I don't know if you get, and Greg, you may get them as well. The, the logistics report comes out every morning at 7 a.m. every weekday. That's great information. And of course, I still get a paper version, the weekend version, which I'm a big wow. fan of. Yeah, really good stuff. But he says- lots of, There's lots of valuable information in there. I'm just having this- Look, I'm, you know, I can be a little weird about these things. <laughs> I wonder why we need to pay for a subscription to somebody who makes 
like $40 million a year in advertising. So excellent point. Excellent point. I'll take it up next time. The I Wall keep Street shouting Journal. into the forest about that. <laughs> well, the good news is, is uh, it's a very eclectic read too. That's why I like the weekend version. Yeah. Anyway, Michael, Michael talks about uh, per the Wall Street Journal this morning, the port of Savannah said one dock was out of service. So there, there you it go. is right there. That's a great heads up. All right, well, now I don't need to go down there and do some investigation <laughs> on River Street. Uh, and you don't want Greg coming down to an investigation on, on, on any part of your operation. But I kid, I kid. Hey, Gene Pledger is tuned in with us here today. Gene, I appreciate your note the other day. Gene of Northern Alabama. Gene also, of course, teaches the next generation, what we call the now generation, already doing big things in supply chain. Tim said he's in Blaine, Blaine Washington. Washington. Okay. Ever been there, Greg? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where it is. I used to work for a company that had a lot of presence there. Really? Uh, I don't recall Blaine. Yeah. Well, Timothy, you're going to have to fill us in. You're now the new resident historian of Blaine, Washington here at yeah, Supply Chain right. Now. Michelle is tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Michelle. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Rowett is tuned in from, uh, from India. He's back with us via LinkedIn. Great to see you here. Of course, Chantel King. Uh, and the aforementioned production team doing great things. Mike tuned in from Birmingham, Alabama uh, via LinkedIn. Mike, great to see you. And welcome, everybody. I know we can't get to everybody here today, but so glad you're here. Greg, are you yes, ready? Scott. We've got a full plate to yeah. talk through today with our guests. Are you ready to, to uh, bring them in? Yes, as you say, with no further ado. With no further ado, let's welcome in Jessica Rosen, president of UPS Trade Advisory Services, and Ron Shepard, Director of Global Trade Compliance at UPS Supply Chain Solutions. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing great this morning. Thank you. Great to see you. And Ron, great to see you as well. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thank you. You Welcome bet. Welcome guys. Uh, you bet. And and by the way, Greg, I see our friend John Perry is tuned in. So John, great to see I'm you good. here today. And you're with us yesterday as well. So before we get into the heavy hitting with our guests here, Jessica and Ron, today, folks, is National Wine Day, National Wine Day. And there's, some, there's a great little historical nugget. I'll save that for a later time. I'll check that out. But I want to start, and just going to start with you. National Wine Day, we all have to, we all must do our, our celebration, right? It's this responsibility. What is your favorite wine or adult beverage, Jessica? Well, I'll take that responsibility very seriously. So, <laughs> um, you know, from a wine standpoint, you know, I like a Cabernet, but a favorite beverage of mine would really be vodka on the rocks with some lime. Nice. That's that's going to be it for me. And is it a favorite vodka? You know, uh, Tito's or Kettle One. Tito's or Kettle One. Both excellent, excellent choices. Yep. So, Ron, same question for you. Favorite wine or adult beverage? I would say, well, I've got adult beverage would be a Dirty Mart Kettle One Martini. But yep. I, uh, I used to make wine when I lived in New Jersey. So homemade wow. wine would probably be the best wine. I would want to drink. And it's probably the only wine that I drink is homemade wine. Okay. Did they do a no. show about you called Boardwalk <laughs> Empire? By any chance? <laughs> uh, you uh, know, a couple of my friends back in Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> we opened up the can of worms that is Ron in New Jersey way too late. We should have uncovered that much earlier, Ron. A lot more you stories there. I did me. <laughs> well, great, great selections. I'm a big fan. Uh, back to your answer of a dirty martini, uh, extra olives, extra dirty. And I like it up, you know, rather than the rocks diluting it, you know, making it watery. Uh, Greg, how about you? So I have a very good friend who's a very educated wine connoisseur. So I have a couple of answers. My 
all-time favorite is called Close Erasmus. It's a Priorat, which is a Spanish wine. And it, as he told me, and I believe him, it's the best wine I will ever drink. And since he paid for it, it probably <laughs> is unquestionably the best wine I will ever drink. <laughs> Lots of everyday wines. So, you know, my people are from Malbec country. So, of course, I'm very partial to Malbec. Well, you know, I learned a lesson early in life, my first year of college, that the best tasting beer in the world is that that is cold and free. There you go. So along those lines. But folks, let us know. It looks like Michael is also weighing in. Michael and Jessica have this in common. Tito's and lime is the way to go. I'm with you there, Michael. Kadar is tuned in from San Jose via LinkedIn. Great to see you, uh, Kadar. Brett, good morning via LinkedIn. Let us know. It looks like I'm a guess, Greg. That's either the upper northwest or that might be like the Massachusetts area. That's, those are my guesses. Yeah, it's hard to tell. That picture is kind of small, at least in my <laughs> monitor. So, <laughs> Brett, let, let us. Yeah, it, I think that's <laughs> a salmon. Know. So that might that would be northwest for sure. But if it's not, can anyone uh, Ron, see it better? Ron, Jessica, quick guesses where yeah. Brett might be from. No, okay. no guesses. Well, I'll weigh in on northwest, upper up north what northwest. And by the way, Timothy's giving us a little bit of ge geography. Blaine is along the north end of the I five corridor by the U.S. and Canadian border. Oh, okay. That is a lot of good stuff there. there. Okay. It, it yeah, is. Blaine's, Blaine's the last stop before you cross the border to go to Vancouver. Right. That, exactly. Okay. And they still call it the five there, right? Once you cross the border, it's not the anything. Man, I feel like I'm becoming an honorary resident of Blaine because I'm in the know with all this, all this insider information. But That whole the thing comes from California and it's worked its way up the coast. The okay. five, the 405. The more you know, the more you yeah. know, the more you know, right? Uh, okay, so let's move on, though. We've got two experts in uh, supply chain, but especially trade compliance. And I think, folks, break out your your um, your favorite notebooks. We're going to learn a lot from Jessica and Ron here today. And, and y'all keep your comments coming. It looks like uh, Tim is a big fan of, of coffee, black coffee. And Anton Veronese, big fan of Anton Rupert um, Merlot. Okay, we're going to learn more about that. But... Let's talk trade compliance. And before, you know, we need to do some level setting. And I want to start with, with Jessica here. As when it comes to, you know, the key pillars of a successful compliance program, let's start there. There's three of them from what my little homework I've been doing. Jessica, let's start, talk about the first pillar. So when you're thinking about trade compliance, information reigns kink, right? Knowledge and information, making sure that you have all of the key parties educated and the right folks empowered to make decisions and to be informed. So, you know, when you talk about knowledge and information within businesses that want to conduct trade compliance in the most efficient, effective and compliant way, they really need to rely on trade experts, have the expertise in house and also lean into technology from a certain standpoint. Mm, right. Yeah. If you have the right backup, that's really going to support all of the other pillars and, and kind of be part of that one of three pillars of foundational information. So a WMS is is always ideal from a larger organization that has complex multinational supply chain issues and that really for me is is kind of number one right number one pillar is knowledge and information how else do you make informed decisions be nimble and agile as business changes look at the trade today it's just right. it's all over the place right yeah and you changing know, frequently I mean, that's right change yet again in the fairly recent future right well, kind of what to what you were just saying, Jessica, and where Greg started the show earlier, you know, we all have 
plenty in our blind spot, right? And that, that can bite you. Uh, and also, we, as we've established, Greg, time and time again, informed individuals make informed decisions and, and oftentimes uh, much more timely decisions. So, Jessica, I love that first pillar, information and knowledge. Ron, talk about the second pillar. So engagement is 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 the second pillar of our conversation here today, and it's really uh, vital to the success of the compliance program. Going back, going back to Greg's example, I think it was Department of Corrections or something like that, where they weren't even, you know, in sync with what their requirements were. And one of the biggest reasons for that is because the people who are responsible for trade compliance sometimes aren't as engaged with the broader organization to help them understand the aspects that they need to follow in order to navigate around some of these hurdles mm. of, of trade compliance or the things that are in place to manage it compliantly. And yet, excuse me. So what, what I see often are a couple of different things and it, okay. it's harder now with work from home and remote workplaces to be engaged with your partners. But I think if, if you really understand the goals, the goals of today, what, what are we trying to accomplish with our organization? What are the things that are happening right now? And if the compliance team is engaged with those individuals and understand the impact that the compliance program has on their ability to do that, to do whatever they need to do. So relief aid in some cases, um, you know, getting materials sourced from different places because mm -hmm. of WRO rules or whatever. So understanding the organization goals and what they're trying to accomplish today and the impact that the compliance program has on those goals is really vital. So the second part is, is just the true engagement. So how do you get, especially now with, you know, being remote in some, in some ways and, and being in different parts of the country, how do right. you stay engaged to really understand what your organization's trying to do? Yet you have to do a lot of outreach and you have to make sure that what they're what they're trying to do is is not go around you and go around the trade compliance team. So you if you manage trade compliance and you have a team of people, it's trying to get them to be part of conference calls of team reviews, be, mm. be part of meetings, that kind of stuff in the networking so that they know that you're not going to try and disrupt their whole world. But you're actually trying to understand what they're trying to accomplish and, and really be part of the solution and not be part of a blocker. OK. Uh, a lot of good stuff there on the first two pillars. Greg, weigh in on what you heard there from Ron. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity to preempt problems. Think about how often we are reactive in the supply chain world. Oops, I didn't know about about that additional charge, or I, you know, I didn't pay attention to this kind of guideline or or the guardrails, right? And I and I uh, veered off off path. So I think that connection, that engagement, is critical not only from the the compliance team, but also for the team that is usually just hustling to get the work done mm. for them to be aware of how to communicate with those folks, to engage with those folks and to prevent what are usually far more costly errors than the time lost to, to try and prevent them. So, uh, yeah, I think that's critical. That's a critical aspect of it, but that's hard to accomplish, right? I mean, right. as Ron, you said that engagement has to come from the people who know to the people who need so, well, you know, the good news is, is folks, it, there is a, a growing ability to jump on a plane and go have these face to face conversations, which makes up probably part, if you can, uh, of a successful engagement 
approach being the second pillar of what you're, you're working through here. So Jessica, with that said, we've talked about the first pillar information and knowledge, the second pillar being engagement, your comment on the second pillar and talk to us about the third. So I want to just kind of tie in a comment to what, what you all were just talking about in regards to the actual engagement. The engagement has to come through all parties within an organization. Mm. It's one thing to have a compliance team and a team of experts, but how are they engaging with your legal teams, your tax teams, your logistics teams? Mm -hmm. Are they viewed as you know a restrictive entity inside of your own organization or an actual support structure that's going to help you be compliant and facilitate trade in the right way. So I think that that kind of ties into actually the third pillar, which is continuity, mm. right? Making sure that you have business continuity also needs to lean into the fact that you have information to share with the right people across the organization, not that you're working on a compliance island. And, and again, viewed as that, that outside entity within your own business, right? That happens sometimes. And when you think about the continuity that you know, in the virtual world, we just were talking about everybody's remote. I shouldn't say everybody, but a large portion of All us folks are <laughs> we're remote, mm -hmm. right? So being proactive and making sure that you're reaching out to those different divisions within your organization as a compliance professional, and they can understand your, your perspective and how you can not just work together, but work together for that continuity within your business. Yes. I heard you say they're kind of build that multiverse trade compliance program, right? I invite a lot of folks. Somebody's uh, been to the movies in the last week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still learning what that is, Greg, quite frankly, but, but kidding aside, you know, make it, make it a big table uh, and invite a lot of folks from a variety of functions there and at all levels of the organization. Also uh, part of the point Jessica was making. So three pillars there, information, knowledge being the first one, engagement being the second one, and then that continuity, which is so vital, being that third pillar. Now, Greg, that we've got kind of a, a foundation built uh, that, that helps, I think, all the folks that are new to trade compliance kind of level set a little bit and lean in. Where are we going next? With yeah, Ron? Jessica, to your, to your point, you said how, how you view your compliance organization is critical. I think most people view it as more of a burden than, than a help. So I'm curious how companies, and Ron, let's ask you first, uh, but I, I'm curious how companies do handle trade compliance today and, and, and also how should they? I'd love to hear from both of mm. you on that. Sure. I mean, that's, that's what we're all about, right? So how they typically would handle it is that they're going to take their own priorities or they're going to bring their own priorities, their background and their, their references of where mm. they're from and bring that to the organization because that's how they see value that they bring, right? The company mm -hmm. hired me for my expertise and I'm going to put in these processes and controls in order to make sure that nobody goes to jail or we don't pay, you know, penalties and that kind of stuff. So right. typically they're, they're going to go into it looking at a myopic approach to trade compliance, irregardless of its effects on the rest of the organization. So getting back to, to what Jessica is saying, you really need to understand what's happening in legal, what's happening in marketing, what's happening in all the other different areas of the organization. Um, so what, what would typically you would want to do, and mm -hmm. it goes back to similar to what that engagement is, is try to make sure that your goals are part of the organization's goals and that the organization understands that you have skin in the game on how successful they are. And when you look at 
the broader aspect of what the organization's priorities are and try to fit them in, then you're no longer, Greg, to your point earlier, seen as an obstruction. Typically, people will put like when emergencies happen, what is the first thing that everybody does? They lock it down. They're right. going to put the major control on everything that they have possible. And what that does is it sends ripples effects throughout the organization of things that you can't do. We can't do this. We can't do that. Don't ask any questions. We're just going to keep doing this This here. Put, put up the walls right. and block everything from happening. And those things affect your customer experience. They affect your cost picture and your profitability. They affect manufacturing. There's a whole, all these things affect that. And, and they slow down your supply chain velocity. And so you want to really make sure that you understand what are the effects of what we're ha- what you're trying to do to mitigate some risks in certain areas, but also be open and approachable and try to work together to, to, to get to how to, okay, we have customers that are in Eastern Europe and there's a major conflict going on there. How do we get material to them that they need? The first thing that anybody might do is say, well, you can't, there's major conflicts going there when there's sanctions going on with people who might want right. to do that. And, you know, you, you have to really understand and really push yourself to find what are the options and alternatives and measure the risk versus the reward. Excellent point. Really quick, Greg, yeah. uh, before you t- throw it over to Jessica, that supply chain velocity around Ron's talking about so vital to protect it and, and increase it. Let's see here. Benita Lee, great to see you here today. She says, I see many leaving it to their customs brokers or freight forwarders. That's a great comment. Larry Klein is back with us. Larry of South Georgia. I cannot remember the town. I always mispronounce it. Uh, what's the town down in South Georgia, uh, Greg? Aldosta? Uh, no, no, no. Oh. Larry, fill in. Uh, fill us in. Uh, but great to have you back with us via LinkedIn. Tim Wing. Oh, Tim is says, it Albany? Yes. I always okay. mispronounce that. Albany. Benny. It's not Albany in in Georgia. Right. Jessica. It's Albany. That is right. It's, it's an accident it. thing. And if you don't get it right, folks will tell you. So we will correct uh, you. But like Larry, it's, great not, to- it's not Louisville in Georgia either. It's Louisville. That's yeah, right. That's right. Out, out the good. West side. Very yeah. nice, Ron. Um, Wing, uh, I'm sorry, Tim. <laughs> Wing. Tim says, need top to bottom buy-in support. Excellent point there, Tim. Greg, you mentioned movies. Donna saw Doctor Strange last week. The multiverse. We'll yeah. yeah. We'll have to find out, uh, get her review on that, uh, that film. Okay. So Greg, I think you're about to toss it back and get Jessica's comments. Yeah. Well, Ron got my attention pretty squarely when he said nobody goes to jail. And I don't think everybody understands that that is one of the consequences of failure to comply. So uh, this is serious business, what we're Mm. talking about. So Jessica, I toss the same question to you. How do companies, have you seen companies typically address these challenges and, and what's your guidance on how they ought to? So I, I, I'll echo some of Ron's comments in my response back to you. But, you know, a lot of a lot of companies view compliance as scary. It's it's scary. It's unknown. I'm it's as soon complex. as he said Dale. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, yeah, there's there's definitely caution, right, that needs right. to be taken. But it's it's less scary if you unravel it a piece at a time. Lean into industry experts, right? We're, we're out here. We're available. Association support. And as soon as it becomes more known and more common, it becomes less scary. And it really breaks down those barriers for global trade. It breaks down the barriers that may be prohibiting you from growing as an organization. And that's really critical. So, so basically, don't be scared, right? Just, just know the right steps to take. And when you talk about what should companies be doing, and it really is, lean into trade experts. Make sure you have a compliant team. 
don't ignore compliance thinking that it's it's going to go away. Those are the times that's going to come back. And trust me, those are the times that compliance becomes a common name within any organization because it becomes front and center. Mm. You really want risk mitigation in your strategy of managing your business. I, I love see, that. Yeah, I see trade compliance as a as similar to the IRS. You might rush headlong to build a really great business, but if you forget something as important as trade compliance, somebody comes knocking on your door and you could inadvertently, I mean, as you talked about it, pillar three is continuity. You could inadvertently impact the continuity, the viability of your very business by ignoring it. So I think it's it's important for, for folks to recognize that. Excellent. And really quick, uh, if I could add, you know, we were talking uh, an auto parts store pre-show, right? Catherine, uh, her family ran one. You know, you, you don't take your your Aston Martin to the your CPA to get car work done on it, just like you don't take your taxes to your garage shop, right? You got to go to the experts, yeah. right? You got to involve them, get in at the table, uh, like Jessica and Ron both are speaking to. It, it only behooves you as a business leader to be more informed and make better decisions and limit that blind, the risk that is found in anyone's blind spot. So Greg, where are we going next with yep. our esteemed panel? There is a lot of comfort in handing things like this to, to an expert and, and allowing them to preempt problems. So, uh, you know, I'm curious there, I know there are a lot of companies that are reactive to this. So, or, or maybe they're not even really prepared for managing compliance and certainly then not prepared for the issues that uh, occur from failing to manage compliance effectively. So Ron, share with us a little bit of, oh, let's, let's have some, <laughs> let's dish some dirt and, and talk about what happens. I mean, when, when that happens, obviously you've said the J word jail, but uh, there's, I mean, there are other consequences that aren't as scary, but still pretty impactful to your business, right? Yeah, the biggest consequence is the customer experience. And and if you're not managing your trade compliance appropriately, even who your vendors are, where the materials are coming from, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you're looking at it right now, which vessels are backed up or can't be loaded or unloaded and all that other kind of stuff. But trade compliance has a, a similarly impactful type of experience for your supply chain. And you guys talk about it all the time. Your customers are looking for a supplier who is, is going to be there day in, day out, provide the materials, give them the services that they require every day, right? That's one less problem and headache that they have to deal with. Mm -hmm. You can only do that if you have continuity in your operating model. So your supply chain, if you leave yourself open to customs exams, delays because of uh, you know, a vessel is has, you know, dirt in it or a container that your material in has dirt in it. Now it's got to go through an APHIS exam and all that other stuff. You know, you're, you're leaving yourself vulnerable to supply chain disruptions, additional costs and those types of things that is going to affect your customer experience. And then they're going to look for somebody else who has a more robust or redundant type of trade compliance program. Mm. And if you're reactive to those types of things, you often are going to put an excess amount of cost into your process that then who's going to pay for it. Right. It's either going to affect your profitability, which is going to affect, you know, your, 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 your stock price or whatever. And it's going to affect your customer, uh, your customers as well, because now you're going to have to charge them more uh, as opposed to, you know, an increase in your or a decrease in your profitability. So that's another pain point 
if you're not managing your trade compliance with a very robust compliance model, but one that helps, you know, the organization. And I'll go back to it again. It's the engagement. If you try to go back and lock things down and put all these things in place, what's going to happen? Eventually, they're going to say, all right, nobody went to jail. And, you know, because nothing ever happens, right, because of right. some emergency, they're going to go around you again because your model, your trade compliance model is not engaging enough to warrant them pulling you into this conversation. Uh, Greg, I got to share just a couple things from the comments yeah. here because no one, you know, as appealing as those orange jumpsuits are in jail, it's not worth, it's not making a trip. And Benita That's also- so 10 years ago, orange is the new black, right? <laughs> oh, is I it? Mean, That's orange right. Orange is right. not the new black now. Do not, do not wind up in orange. Yes. Benita also said, good point, Ron. Once you're flagged, you're flagged for future shipments. That is great to know. And she also mentions this ICPA association as a great resource. Larry says, don't try to memorize all this stuff. Always have a guy or a gal, websites is what he meant to type there, websites, whatever. Uh, and Larry adds, right is right no matter what. Proactivity is much cheaper. Unquestionably. I, you know, I think about some of the some of the experiences we've had recently. I mean, CBP, the Customs and Border Patrol, they have changed their policy on things like, like slavery, right? If you don't pay attention, you could source goods out of Xinjiang province that will be stopped and rejected or mm. seized upon entry into U.S. waters. So, mm. I mean, you, it's important from a company credibility standpoint. All of those things, Ron, you mentioned um, are, are, of course, important. But just think about your your credibility in the larger marketplace is, you know, my favorite clothing line used to be an offender in, in the Xinjiang province and they have cleaned up their act. So now I'm able to wear Adidas clothes again. So, but the other thing that Ron, you spoke to, and I'd love Jessica to get your thoughts on, on this and whatever other insights you have in regard to the responsive or, or lack of knowledge kind of approach that many companies take is this pendulum swing where you are completely out of compliance and then you're completely locked down and companies tend to kind of swing back and forth. There is and has to be a happy medium. And you've described these three pillars that I think bring that equilibrium to the pendulum. So I'm curious, tell me a little bit about what you've seen and maybe even some ways that companies overcome this pendulum swing. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, when I, when we talk about the pendulum swing, you're absolutely right. As soon as you're in hot water, as said before, right? Compliance is the word that's just buzzing around your organization. By right. then it's too late. All hands on deck and we need a compliance program and, and it really is hair on fire. So mm -hmm. of course the, the ideal thing is to avoid that, right? And when you start thinking about, if you look further upstream, Ron made some really good points in regards to the customer aspect, but don't forget your internal customers, right? So you have things all the way up through the supply chain, even to the point of dealing with vendors and suppliers that could be impactful all the way through and all the way down. Mm. The, the cost of goods sold, the risk of having goods delayed, the time of cost, the cost of time of goods just sitting there. All of those things really start adding up. And when you look at this, this, this pendulum swing, if you have a program that includes auditing, oversight, information, accuracy, those are the things that are going to help you so you don't end up in that one end of the pendulum with the hair on fire. What you can't <laughs> afford to do as an organization 
is is put your hand, head in the sand and really not look at it and hope nothing's going to happen. Nothing's happened. Nothing's going to happen. It's somebody else's problem. And you can't, you can't, you cannot give your risk to another entity. You are, as an importer of record, ultimately responsible for what's happening within your organization. So lean into expertise, lean into experts. We are out here. And those are the types of things that really help that, that pendulum kind of sway a little bit shorter, where if you find an issue, you address that issue and it's no longer a huge response to a major situation. Mm-hmm. It's a minor tweak to an overall stable and healthy compliance program. Wow. You know, I'll say. as she was talking about, there's so much goodness in what she just shared there, but it, rem- it reminded me of the, our arsonist phrase yes. that we got from Mike Griswold, Greg. We yes, can't reward the, the arsonists, right? And and that's, and that's been the supply chain of the past. Is mm-hmm. we we fail to acknowledge these kind of risks, and then we wind up taking pride in and even rewarding the arsonist, right? We mm-hmm. start the fire by not being preemptive, as Ron and Jessica are talking about, and then we reward ourselves for saying, "Yes, we got through that," right? So yeah, I think I I had exactly the same picture, Scott, and we yes. do have to be more preemptive, and I think what Jessica, you and Ron are promoting is it is so much cheaper to prevent a fire than to rebuild the building after it's burned down, right? A stronger foundation to again go back to improving, increasing that uh, supply chain velocity. A um, couple comments here. Peter Bolay, great to see you, Peter Bolay, all night and all day. Very true, Jessica, he says. Or you get a day like I'm having today, chasing issues all morning. Uh, and I should point out, and Peter, we got to compare notes. I appreciate your comments on my uh, airport comment. Peter spent about 30 years, Greg, I'm going to get this number wrong, with Air Canada. And so yeah. all kinds of compliance conversations to be had there. Bonita says, thank you, Jessica. No ostriches allowed. Auditing is key. Excellent comment. And I don't know, she's got a couple acronyms here. And maybe my neurons aren't firing so Benita, you're gonna have to um, know your source and know your customer. I think ah, nice, yeah. nice. And Peter's Johnny one spot, twenty five years Air Canada. My apologies, I was giving you a few extra years for Steve's there, uh, Peter. Better, better pension for thirty. <laughs> That's right. Finally, uh, and I'm, I wish we get everybody's comments, but y'all keep them coming. Shantara says courts are increasingly holding shippers liable under theories of vicarious liability, wow. negligent selection, or entrustment as well as a contractual assumption of risk. Shantara just might be an attorney. Those are some big words uh, for me to say at least, Uh, but excellent point. That's going to reflect on carriers and forwarders and that sort of thing, because once once it it starts impacting Walmart and Target and Amazon, they're going to rain hellfire down on whoever caused them to have that liability. That's right. Excellent point. And they got the bucks to do it. So- you can so, seriously get hit from both sides, right? The, <laughs> the government compliance side and then from your, your ultimate customer. We're just after that equilibrium that Jessica mentioned, part of that yeah. pendulum uh, illustration. That. Yeah, let's focus there. Um, so Jessica, let's, let's get back with you uh, and talk about some of the key trends that you see in trade compliance today that our viewers and listeners should be more aware of. So I think one of the things that, that's really been prominent and has... I guess it's not even new, but multinational organizations are having global oversight from a compliance standpoint. They have regional expertise, but global oversight or centralized governance in order to make sure there's continuity from beginning to end. 
Mm. No longer is it the origin is doing their piece and the destination is doing their piece. With the onset of all the technology that's out there and customs agencies around the globe becoming more automated, it's even more important to make sure that there's continuity in information all the way through from point of exported origin to point of import at destination and even from a post-entry standpoint. Well said. Ron, what so, would you add? To, I'm sorry, Jessica. Go ahead. No, that's okay. If we want to get Ron's comments, I can chime in after. Well, please. I, uh, I'm going to cut you off. Uh, you shared so much in that first snippet. What else are you seeing trend-wise? So I think that there's also a trend in making sure that you are leaning into experts. The responsibility has increasingly been embraced within multinational organizations and a broader understanding. If you think back about trade compliance, it was an unknown word even five years ago. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to some of the global disruptions that we've seen in five years. I'm, I'm not going to go into specifics, but it is a much more common industry. And no longer are you the complete outsider saying, well, what does that mean? What do you do? I don't understand. So there's definitely a trend of more awareness and knowledge, which I personally think is, is helpful to organizations that are trying to advocate for compliance programs within their companies. So sometimes I misread the pauses, but what, what I heard in that second segment, Jessica, is you're saying that trade compliance gurus are they're cool now. They're hip. It's, it's cool to be in trade compliance. Is that right, Jessica? We are the cool kids now. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> We've been waiting for our time. And here it it's is. Here. It is here. It's in supply chain. We can relate. That's right. Being that sort of black <laughs> box that everyone was afraid of, right? Oh, and now, so true. With with the benefit of exposure, broad based exposure, now people understand it and they fear it a lot less. I I think, you know, obviously there are some challenges where where you guys are operating, but I think the sooner that that happens, the better, right? That Great. people know that there are people who can keep them out, not just get them out, keep them out of these trade compliance issues. I'm with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And I I'm had going, one more, Scott. Yeah, please. Yeah, please. I, <laughs> I am just one. all over. You know, it's like uh, it's like some of those folks that were misreading the PJ Open Greens uh, last weekend. Hey, Boy, sometimes, man, sometimes my putts just fly past the hole. So, Jessica, please. I trip. need a cue card over here, right? I need to, I need to have like the little cue <laughs> Still card. Still talking. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> but one of the other things that I was going to comment on is just simply the agility of a business to make change. Right. So that you've seen a lot of trends with if you can't source from a certain location, having the agility to source from another location swiftly and quickly change your supply chain, vendors, suppliers and, and even service providers to some extent. We've heard a little bit about nearshoring. We've in general seen just supply chain. You were talking about earlier, Greg, right? Oh, there's containers sitting out there. What's the trend? Goods aren't mm -hmm. getting into the country the way they used to. So making sure that organizations have a contingency plan is another point that I wanted to make as far as what we're starting to see. Critical. So much. Yeah. Critical. And, and, and these new opportunities require, I would think those that are, are experts in trade compliance, like both of y'all here as uh, let's see here, Tim wing States, you have two outstanding resources addressed in the group here. I agree with you, Tim, as I mentioned, we were walking away with a lot smaller blind spot after talking with Jessica and Ron here. Uh, Ron, keeping things moving forward, you weigh in, if you would, on some of the key trends you're seeing. So certainly using data to be able to understand your compliance picture and its effects that it has, not only on your risk, uh, risk mitigation picture, but using data to understand what's the cost of your trade compliance program in terms of your customer experience, your, your physical, your true costs, 
uh, and those types of things. So we're seeing that more and more people are taking all of their different key points of their trade compliance, their parts databases, their FTAs, all that kind of stuff. And then they have it in a lot of times in their GTM or notes or whatever, but now they're trying to engage with their providers to make sure that they have the useful information they need in order to act on their behalf, whether it's a customs broker from an import entry or a forwarder for filing exports around the world uh, and those types of things. So we're seeing the digit. I can never say that word either. Yeah, Ron. Ron. I can never say that, that word, Ron. That and Democrat cool kids. I keep thinking of that song in the back of my mind. It just threw me <laughs> way off. Digitization. Got it. So, yes. You know, so being able to supply that information to the providers, but then take it back, consume it, and make sense of it, and what are the impacts that it's had. So that's the first thing. The other thing is, with the with the effect of sanctions going on through globally. Uh, affecting different parts of, of the world. And I'm not just talking about the Russia, uh, Belarus sanctions that are occurring now, but you know, you can go back a couple of years ago with the US and Huawei and China and all different types of things. And Greg, you talked about it with the forced labor, right? So mm -hmm. where are the supplies coming from and, and, and whether or not it's impacted uh, by those forced labor uh, laws and WRO. So now the trade compliance teams where most of their focus was on import compliance are expanding. And now they're looking at what, what is our effects from an export perspective? What is our supplying and, and, and distribution of, you know, in different parts of the world, different countries? How is that being affected by different things? So they really have to wear lots of hats and bigger hats. And Jessica talked about it before. They have different regional experts that are able to pull in to the global process. And the, the last thing is not just risk mitigation from a trade compliance perspective, but we're having input on brand risk. Mm -hmm. I think you talked about it a little bit earlier, Greg. So that brand risk is going to come a lot from the legal, the legal group as well as trade compliance. And what happens if we don't follow our trade compliance program and then things were to be exposed about our holes in our trade compliance program and the effect it's going to have on our, on our, our bottom line. Mm. So much to dive into. And we only have y'all for a few more minutes here. I want to share a couple of quick comments. Uh, Peter Bole says, keep preaching it, Jessica. I've been screaming this from rooftops for many years. A diversified supplier base wins the day. Not to be confused with supplier diversity. Excellent point there, PB. Kim Winner, our dear friend from Dubai. Kim, great to see you. I enjoyed our show last week, I think it was. Greetings from the Dubai team. FYI, one of our fastest growing global Canada-based clients is all about legal and document compliance, data integrity, cross-border info validation, big issues. That data integrity in particular, we all know the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. Uh, that part of what I did in the Air Force was spend some time each day uh, ensuring data integrity in terms of the maintenance actions that went into our massive databases. And Benita says, now you can talk about the metaverse, uh, Scott, regarding the data, the yeah. data. Okay, let's keep driving um, really quick because we got some resources and we want to protect Jessica and Ron's time here. Jessica, how do we sell effectively the importance of trade compliance to decision makers who these days are focused on a variety of different things. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's sparks all over the dry, the dry woods, right? So how do you know which one to address it at well, which time? Yeah. 
you know, I, I think there's a couple of different pieces to this. You build internal champions. We talked about it earlier. Make sure that you're communicating with the different departments within the organization. Know the organization's goals and strategies and align your compliance efforts to support those goals and strategies. They're going to see that you are a facilitator versus potentially a blocker, right? Being on the same team. If everyone's on the same team, you're going you're gonna to be much more successful than, if, you, of course, if you're not. And, you know, when you're talking to high executives, they're busy. Keep it simple. Let's let's not get into all of the details. Quantify it. Keep it simple and repeat it. So make sure that you understand who your audience is, what the impact of the topic is that you're going to be talking to and how it ties into those overall strategies. And, and quantifying, I think, is really important as well. If this happens, this is the impact to our business and our business strategy. This is why we need to take our time to focus on compliance because it's going to facilitate growth or facilitate trade in other areas, all of those different pieces that organizations are looking at. And I added in there again, and it's worth saying, repeat. And I don't know what the saying is, but there's a certain amount of times you hear something and a certain percentage sticks and you have to be consistent with your messaging, right? You have to be consistent with what you're saying and who you're saying it to. And, and I think those are going to bring the the overall foundation, pulling all together the information, the technology, the data, and the continuity. And it all kind of ties in together with those points. It sure seven does. Times, Jessica, you often have to tell somebody something seven <laughs> times before they hear you for the There's first time. There's a good stat. That sounds, is that, I mean, that sounds crazy, but, and I think you, to your point, keep it simple and continually communicate it because as you said, brilliantly there are a lot there's a lot of what did you say sparks on the embers on, on the, the dry wood embers on the dry wood right and it's going to take a minute for you to get through to somebody when they've got this many this many problems right so and probably so more so and hey john buglino is confirming the data seven times i have it stick thank you jb and great to see you here today larry klein talks about just the facts just the facts. And someone mentioned big hats. Benita says just different colored hats like Kentucky Derby like. I love that. Okay. For sake of time, Ron, really quickly add to what Jessica shared about how do we sell it internally kind of. You got to force yourself to say our trade compliance program needs to be broader than just risk mitigation. It needs to help our ability to grow. It needs to in increase our customer experience or our, our supply chain velocity. It needs to help with our cost picture and risk mitigation. So risk mitigation is always going to be at the heart of a trade compliance model. But you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You need to understand what's going on in the organization, how you impact the organization, and how you can help them be better. Because if not, you're going to go back to the beginning of this conversation where people just go around you and they avoid you because what you're going to tell them is probably bad news, right? They have to know that as the director or the person that's responsible for supply chain, you're you're there to really help make sure that we're we're legit, we have continuity in our supply chain and our trade compliance program, but that we're trying to figure out what's the best way to do that all compliantly. And once you get that reputation and pull your people out of that, that comfort zone that they have and really push them to where they need to be, which is be supportive of the entire organization, then you're really going to get the attention of the organization, especially nowadays, all the different media 
and things that you can do. I mean, our, our, our marketing group is, is really helpful in trying to get the message out to lots of different people within the organization about how helpful we can be. So it's, there's lots of cool things that the cool kids can do. (laughs) Snackable right there, right there. Hey, you know, don't avoid trade compliance out of fear of bad news because there's, there's worse things like worse news, right? Going back to the the jail situation. So lean into these outstanding resources. And I misspoke earlier. It's not just selling internally, right? If you got a big organization, that's probably part of what you got to do. Or if you, for that matter, if you got a small organization, but it's also con, you know showing the value and the value proposition and the resources and and how you can add velocity to your customers and suppliers outside the four walls. So a lot of stuff here. And Benita, I tell you, this is something she is is passionate about. I love it. She says, "I like to say comply or die." Should I stop? Uh, I'll leave that to the experts, Benita. But uh, a lot of good stuff here. Okay. Really quick, y'all have got some great resources. We want to share those with our all of our listeners and, and folks viewing uh, from the cheat seats. And first up is, if you're like me, uh, I mentioned the Wall Street Journal. I get their logistics report every morning. I also get uh, these emails from UPS Supply Chain Solutions, these freight market updates and more. And we've got a link where you can go and sign up for that. Uh, production team, if we could drop that in the comments, make it easy for folks, right? We're all debating what port uh, was was listed here. We'll have to, you'll have to tune in for the next live stream to get the answer. And then secondly, are the UPS Tradenomics webinar series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, we also have a link where you can sign up for that as well. And Ron, we believe, we I think we heard from your agent that you were a part of one of these last webinars uh, that are now on demand uh, at the link provided. What was your favorite? What was the webinar about? What was your favorite part? Uh, it was about uh, trade compliance in Europe <laughs> and in okay. the EU. And so it's global trade compliance and spotlight on the on the EU. Uh, there was a couple different speakers besides me. But uh, what, what I really liked about it was that we had an opportunity to talk about not just U.S. sanctions, but global sanctions, EU, Canadian sanctions uh, that are affecting trade compliance pictures in 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 Europe and and you know around the world. But Jessica is regularly on there, um, you know. So we 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 like to do them, and they're they're fun to do as well. Not as fun as being with you guys today, but we certainly <laughs> like to have. Them. What could be that fun, man? Yeah, <laughs> you are too kind, Jessica. Uh, speak to uh, you know. So you're making appearances as well, which we've heard about. Tell us what what's your favorite part of getting this information out there. You know, my favorite by far, my favorite part is is the awareness right? It's, it's eliminating the unknown and providing tools that are going to help individuals, organizations. That's what this is all about, right? Is, is sharing, having, having that network of support. So this is a great opportunity to hear more information, lean into some more experts and, and share ideas. You know, going back to the very beginning of the, the well, not the very beginning, but towards the beginning of this conversation that we had today, it was about how much experience does someone bring to to the the program, the trade compliance program? And if you actually, if the more you can learn, the more the more input you can get from people. So all the people that are listening today, you're hearing two more people talk about trade compliance and the effects that it has. All that kind of exponentially increases your value to the organization because you're you're tapping into more people that help you understand the trade compliance aspects of, of your organization. So the more you can do that, that the better off you're, you're going to be and rationalize the, the picture. So 
join our Tradenomics webinars, join other webinars, stay, stay on supply chain now. And the more you learn, the more value you bring to the organization. Yes, the more you well, know. Good. Again, we need that graphic. We need that graphic. We got to talk to our friends at NBC. Hey, Greg, what do Corvettes, Crocs, Candy, and Jessica and Ron have in common? They're all cool, man. They're all cool. Oh, okay. Oh, Sorry. Oh, I was going to say they're cool, but <laughs> I, but then you said Crocs. So I... Hey, Crocs are all the rage. That's all my kids want. Not just it, kids. Okay. Not just kids. I mean, That's they right. make some actually fashionable looking shoes, by the way. We're going to get some over the weekend, maybe, as we're playing golf on Saturday. But hey, I digress. So, <laughs> Jessica and Ron, let's make sure, folks, I appreciate uh, going back to your answer, Jessica. Awareness is so critical. Uh, it's a big part. It's a big part of the battle, right? So, I loved your your passion there. How can folks connect with both of you all? And Jessica, let's start with you. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, right? That's that's a great platform to reach out and, and a huge platform from a global standpoint. So, tap me up on LinkedIn. And we'll be able to start a conversation and engage. And as you know, if, as requests come in, we'll make sure you get supported. Wonderful. And hey, you might want to also beyond trade compliance, talk Yankees baseball with Jessica Rosen. I really appreciate your time here today. Ron, same question. How can folks connect with Ron Shepard? They can email me directly at jrosen at ups.com. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Don't actually use that. That's not my real email. <laughs> You never know yeah, what's going. By the way, you everyone will think too, you've been fired. <laughs> Man, you never know. Anyway, LinkedIn, uh, we're right there. I'm usually really good. I got the alerts that pop up on my phone if somebody uh, sends me a message. So that'd be the best way uh, to be able to reach out to me. And I appreciate anybody that does. And I may not know the answer, but I have a wealth of resources within my organization, just as like as as Jessica is, to be able to help somebody navigate a, an issue or a problem. Well Not said. only is Ron one of the cool kids, he can ask more cool kids to help you. <laughs> you got it. Oh, one-two punch here today. Really have enjoyed our time. Uh, gosh, I've, I'm walking away here with a whole different appreciation and, and really a different perception of trade compliance gurus uh, and resources. So thanks, big thanks to Jessica Rosen, president of UPS Trade Advisory Services. Jessica, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And Ron Shepard, Director of Global Trade Compliance, UPS Supply Chain Solutions. Thank you, Ron. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You Thank bet. You. Jessica, Ron, we'll see you all again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Take care. Man, I tell you, it feels like, you know, it always feels like we're scratching the surface because it's so challenging to, you know, make as much headway as we can in an hour, especially in a big, big old topic like trade compliance in this global business and beyond this obstacle course that is global supply chain era. But hey, Jessica and Ron, they know their stuff, huh? I, I learned something. I mean, you know, we learn a little something every single time. But to understand I, I, what I learned was, first of all, this is a big issue, obviously. And the the other thing is that they are coming kind of to the enterprise the way supply chain has come to the enterprise. That necessary evil is now part of that greater risk management structure that companies now finally recognize has created the, the fact that they have ignored supply chain compliance and other risk-based aspects of the business. They've ignored it to their peril and it has mm. created the fragility, so much of the fragility that we've seen over the last two and a half years in the supply chain in particular, right? And I think it, what's important to understand is that as supply chain has kind of risen to that, that level of esteem, if you will, 
so compliance should. And, you know, I talk about this all the time, Scott. Supply chain is not, first of of all, it's not a necessary evil. It's also not a cost-saving exercise, which is where the vast majority of viewpoint comes from on supply chain. It is a risk-balancing exercise. And compliance is a huge part of that risk. And to eliminate fragility in your supply chain, which leads, as, as they both said, to lost profit, to potential prison sentence, to the, the to the you know the detriment of your brand esteem that would actually get someone to stop buying your goods because you are unreliable or out of sync with with ethics and legalities right um, you have to recognize that this is a powerful topic that can really really impact not just the bottom line not just the legal line but the top right. line and the real true brand esteem of your business so excellent point uh, avoid trade compliance professionals resources leaders at your own peril darn skip um, excellent point there greg okay hey, a couple of quick comments here benita says you got to have charms for your crocs to be cool okay benita i have really enjoyed your perspective here today uh let's see here peter bolet also enjoyed ron if you looked in the ron's background he had a portrait of washington and lincoln uh the brain trust of the past as pd mm. says love that uh peter and john yeah crocs you gotta get on board Crocs. No, you don't have to, John. <laughs> so, John, great to see you here today uh, from Maine. We're keeping the debate alive, Scott. That's all That's we're right. doing. That is right. And Timothy, hey, uh, the first and the last comment here today, uh, great to have you here, Timothy, uh, from Blaine, Washington, the product, Blaine, Washington. Okay. So, Greg, we got to leave it there. Folks, yep. make sure you connect with Jessica and with Ron. Great, man, great additions to your network. Check out those those links we shared. Those are also uh, great resources. But hey, whatever you do, take action. Walk through the door, open the window. Uh, there's so much opportunity out there and opportunity to be much more informed so you can make better decisions faster, right? Protect that, that supply chain velocity as Ron Shepard mentioned. But folks, equally as important, uh, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton, Greg White, challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And on that note, we see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.